we are live. Hello, hello. Hopefully you can all hear us in the chat uh, on YouTube. Um, and let us know if there's any issues. La last episode, we had a few technical issues. There were some buffering problems and, and, and things like that. So hopefully we will we switched over to Zoom. Hopefully it runs really well this time. It seems to run really well. I can see you. You're not stuttering, which was happening last time. The, there were little freezing issues. So hopefully this is going well. Thank you for joining us for Scripts and Scribes Live number seven, a very special Monday edition uh, with a very special guest. Uh, we're glad you're starting your week off with us. Um, before we get started, next week uh, on Saturday, we have our new episode will be The Assistant Route with veteran support staffers Aaron Conley of Shadow and Bone and Iron Fist, Shelby Enlow of Sunnyside in Bucktown, and Ed McCarthy from Paper Girls and Dare Me. And we're going to be talking uh, about breaking in as an assistant as a route to the writer's room, uh, what it takes to be a support staffer, where to find the rare and sought after assistant positions, and answer uh, your questions live from the chat. And that's next Saturday, uh, April 3rd at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. But today, uh, we're very fortunate to have on a guest, and we're going to be talking about indie filmmaking, fellowships, and becoming a multi-hyphenate with our amazing guest today. She's a graduate of the Disney Writers Program, and Fox Wright is also a writer on the Disney ABC series, A Million Little Things, and a prolific filmmaker, a very prolific filmmaker, having produced numerous features such as the Golden Globe-nominated Palm Springs, starring Andy Samberg and J.K. Simmons, the original Sundance-winning short for Whiplash, which was turned into the Oscar-nominated feature of the same name, and recently... Uh, and the recently completed film, The Starling, starring Melissa McCarthy and Timothy Oliphant, to be released on Netflix. She has also spent a number of years in the past working as a casting director and talent booker on dozens of TV shows, such as Royal Pains on USA, The Daily Show on Comedy Central, MTV's Total Request Live and the Latin Grammys, and many, many more. She is the incomparable Gabby Revilla Lugo. Thanks for joining us, Gabby. Oh my gosh, I'm so exhausted hearing that. <laughs> I'm, oh yeah, it was uh, it was quite a trek getting through all, of, and that's not even all your credits. Your credit list is massive, but that's that's just a, the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Oh man, thank you. What a lovely introduction. I'm really happy to be here. It's it's great having you. Uh, before we start diving into all the different topics, I just wanted to talk to you as we normally do and ask you uh, just sort of how you got interested and in how you got your start in working in the industry? Um, I, I did, came into the country when I was a kid uh, and I was undocumented. So I didn't really know that writing was like a job you could get paid for. Um, but I always loved stories and I wrote like little books in school that had, you know, different um, color <laughs> sort of like uh, creative little um, covers on them that I would make and so I was always really interested in that I just didn't know I could get paid for it and eventually uh, through a series of of events ended up working in the music business so I uh, had an internship at a at what was then Clear Channel which then became Live Nation um, and a couple days after being there my boss had a heart attack and I ended up getting uh, asked if I could like, you know, basically take over for all of these different artists and like spend a couple of days on tour with some of them settling shows. And uh, I did that for a summer and then came back to a music venue to sort of help produce live concerts. Um, and that's how I sort of got my toe into the business because um, 
I learned that people could get paid for being storytellers. Uh, you know, obviously music is a different form of storytelling, but that was like the first sort of like foray into, oh, right. So this, this could be a job. Mm -hmm. And you had started uh, your career on the East Coast in New York, correct? Yeah. So my, actually, my first job was in Virginia. Oh, okay. But then, but then I went to, um, then I went on to, I had a, I booked a couple small clubs in DC. And then, you know, my first like big job with Martin Short was in New York. Mm -hmm. And actually, that actually is something that we get asked a lot is sort of the transition in terms of, especially for television writers, not necessarily as much for, for screenwriters, although it does help, but being in Los Angeles and making that move, uh, the importance of, if you want to work in television, having to be in Los Angeles. When did you make that decision and how, what was that transition like? you know, again, coming from New York City to Los Angeles to work in television and features? By the time I decided to make that move, so I spent a few years in New York. I worked on Martin Short's show, Fame Becomes Me, and then, you know, went on to work at MTV. I had a bunch of, like, odd jobs, then worked at the Wendy Williams show. And by the time that was done, I had ended a marriage. I had no money. The writer strike was happening. Perfect like, time to move to LA. <laughs> but it was like I had nothing left to lose so I was just like you know what no time like the present and I went you know on a friend's couch and started doing odd jobs until I could sort of figure out um, what I was going to do next but I knew at that point that I I was going to be a writer come hell or high water I just mm -hmm. didn't know it would take so long right and so for those who think that it's sort of an overnight thing, although the cliche is the 10-year overnight success, how long did it take before writing, producing, filmmaking was your sole source of it? And this includes time spent in New York. I mean, from the very beginning of your journey into, I want, not necessarily music, but I want to work in film, television, whatever. How long was that journey before it was your, really your full-time paid job? I think I decided I wanted to work in film and TV in 2006. Okay. I got, I, it didn't become my sole source of income until 2012. Mm -hmm. And then at that point it was like very little, very little money. Um, but that year I made the whiplash short. And so things slowly started, uh, so we made that in July. I mean, I made very little money off of that, but we went to Sundance the following year, 2013. And that year, I would say things really started changing for me uh, by 2015. I mean, it was my my full time, like I could pay rent and, you know, sort of take care of myself otherwise gig. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really start making money from writing, even the I'd optioned a couple of things, but like start making consistent money from writing until 2019. So that was, you said 20, 2006 was your first foray. So that was what, 13 <laughs> years? Yeah. So that's about average, you know, right? 10 plus years, right? Oh my gosh. So sad. But you know. But that's part of it though. Those things all helped me. Yeah. And actually, 
that's another thing talking about indie filmmaking that I wanted to sort of dive into as well was your uh, producing the Whiplash short because that's sort of a dream of a lot of young filmmakers out there, newer filmmakers out there, emerging filmmakers out there who start off they they shoot a short film and with the intent of either using that to pr- springboard them to getting an agent and then doing something else another project or more likely they have a feature version of that and they want to make it and so that's sort of like doing taking a shooting a short film going to Sundance winning the jury prize at Sundance for that short film getting it made in made not just developed but made into a feature film that just uh, did it win three you know it, it was at it the won, Oscars they yeah, won a bunch of Oscars which well, is crazy the feature yeah yeah, yeah. But it's crazy the fact that the short won Sundance and it got made and it, the, the feature actually won Oscars and that doesn't usually happen. But so maybe we can talk a little bit about that. How did you get involved? Because shooting a short film, especially at the level, because it had J.K. Simmons in it, the original short too, didn't it? Yeah, we did. We had him in it. How does, do you get a short made at that level? Because a lot of people are working with whatever camera they can grab and whatever actors they can grab and shooting something. But that was actually, sounds like, a really well-produced, well-put-together, you know, obviously it won Sundance, the jury prize, so it's obviously a well-put-together short. How did that come about? Thank you. I, You know, I have to say a lot of the stars aligned for that because my friend who I'd, I'd made a couple of uh, smaller features with uh, named Cooper Samuelson, who now works at Blumhouse, he called me and said, you know, we, I really love this kid, Damien, he's so young, he hasn't really done anything, but um, he's really smart and really talented. And uh, Helen Esterbrook, who was working for Jason Reitman at the time, just as a creative exec, um, you know, he was like, she really believes in him too. And we just, but we don't know how to make things at this budget level. So can you help us? I was like, sure. So I took a read of the script and and talk to Damien about like what kind of adjustments we could make because the money that they were talking about putting in, you know, was only $25,000. Mm. And, you know, Damien's hope was like that we could shoot over four or five days. And so we had to say like, that's just not going to be possible. <laughs> and for, you know, the music that we have to record and all of these things, I mean, it's going to have to be a lot of people working sort of for the bare minimum and you as a director are going to have to prove your chops here because all I can get for you are these very small spaces. You know, if you think about it, um, spaces in LA, you know, can go for five to $10,000 a day, a location. And that's before you even dressed it, mm-hmm. you know? So we really had to like look around in areas we wouldn't normally do. We shot it in a convent that they were like tearing down so we shot it there Uh for very cheap um you know and he was super amenable to all of those changes and and then you know we had a relationship with jk um because helen had sort of known him from working for jason and so we you know made the call and said he's not officially involved yet we hope maybe he'll like it but will you read it? You know, mm-hmm. Will you read the script? And he read it and he said, okay. And after that, everything sort of fell into place. He wasn't a big, like a huge actor at that point. You know what I mean? He was like a very well-known character actor. Sure. And so we were sort of thinking outside the box there. 
Um, and yeah, when I called his agent, he was like, okay, he'll do it for two days and no more. And, you know, please, dear God, like, let this work out. <laughs> and luckily it did, you know, but so he I sent mean, me a very nice email when he won the Oscar. He was like, best hundred bucks I ever made. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's not working out. I mean, that's the grand slam really, isn't it? I mean, you couldn't have hoped to do much better unless you created, like, a trilogy of big-budget Oscar... Like, you created the Avatar trilogy from this or something. Other than that, it doesn't get much better than this, I don't think, right? It's great. I mean, yeah. but it helped that we weren't asking a lot of his time. Sure. We shot him out in a day. He agreed to come back the next day because he and Damien discussed something that they wanted to sort of pick up, mm-hmm. but... You know, it was very much like we kept his time to a minimum. We were like, we will shoot him out in eight hours. It won't take more than that. And we stuck to that. You know, like later they sort of, we ended up adding him to the next day, but that sort of evolved naturally. But the commitment that we asked, so it helps, you know, as you're saying, like, how do you get people like that attached? It helps to have a very concise plan. Like we are going to need him for eight hours. We're going to shoot him out in that time you know, we'll fit him here, you know, before. And, you know, these are the options. This is exactly what he's going to wear. This is exactly what it's going to be like. He can talk on the phone with the director ahead of time. So we don't take up more of his time. Like we made it very easy. Mm-hmm. And, and so he was like, all right, I guess I'm not doing anything. Well, with the initial script, how did you explain that your uh, producing partner or, you know, the partner on this project specifically had passed it on to you and you read it and liked it as well because they loved it. How did the script land on their desk? I'm sorry, I don't remember his name. Carter? Yeah, Cooper. Cooper. Cooper, they went to the same college. And so through an alumni Mm -hmm. program, you know, they connected them. Oh, okay. So they didn't know each other at the time. It was just through an alumni group. Yeah. Oh, wow. he like very kindly sort of read it as a, you know, I'll just give the kid notes. But actually what happened is that Damien wanted to make La La Land at the time. And they were like, nobody's ever going to let you direct this like big, you know, movie. What else do you have? And he was like, well, I have this other thing that I mean, it's really personal and I love it. And, um, and so, you know, Cooper read that and was like, this kid is really special. Mm -hmm. And, figure out a way to help him make a short you know like that's all we had that's all we committed to really it was like let's make a short and see what happens and you know luckily we had JK and it all felt very special while we were making it and you know we also did this thing where we were very strategic about Sundance like we were like let's yes we'll apply but also let's show it to a few key people around town before Sundance. Mm-hmm. And that really gave it a lot of buzz because then people were just talking about it. And, um, you know, Sundance was like, we have all these people that say they've already seen it, you know, <laughs> and that they really liked it and were we showing it? And um, so it was really helpful. So by the time we got to Sundance, it had a lot of buzz already. Mm-hmm. No, that's really smart. You said that the budget originally was $25,000. Where did that money come from? This guy um, who was actually a composer on it too, um, Nick, he ended up, it was his money. 
Okay. So he was like, I want to invest in a project. And, um, you know, he wasn't like, he felt really passionate, I guess, as, uh, I guess, as a musician as well. And so it was his money. And then, you know, we covered... I think Helen put in a couple thousand bucks towards the end because we wanted to do like a couple extra little things. Um, and then Cooper and I, I think, put in a, a couple grand. Mm-hmm. And was that, you had mentioned that going into it, doing something like La La Land or a big feature was like, no one's going to hire him to direct, a, you know, a first time or to direct something like that. Was there ever consideration of shooting Whiplash as a feature, or did he only have a short version of it? Like raising no, no, money to. Yeah, no, he had a feature, mm-hmm. but, you know, we needed to shoot a proof of concept that showed that he could direct. So we took gotcha. a scene that was a short film, you know, mm-hmm. like that scene has like a beginning, middle, and end, and it sort of really speaks to what the whole movie is about. So I think Helen had asked him like at one point, if there's one scene that could encapsulate the whole movie, what would it be? And he was like, well, the moment that he meets this character, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I, and this is sort of how that goes. And so we massaged it a little bit. So it all made more sense and felt like one sort of uh, moment but uh, but that was mostly in the script already so Damien didn't actually hand a short script he didn't have a short script for Whiplash he handed the feature to Connor who loved it and then you guys got together and said hey we have money to shoot a short version let's do a proof of concept and put it together that way so that was your strategic plan from the very beginning yeah yeah and I mean really Helen I mean she found the money so I think Mm -hmm. you know hats off to her because really she's the one that made those calls to make that possible Mm -hmm. um that's because again going back this is sort of I think a young filmmaker newer filmmakers dream I mean to put together a short film and have it win Sundance and go on so that's pretty amazing that you're able to do that um and then you've gone on to produce a lot of other things as well, in addition to your own writing, which I think is not something that a lot of writers... I mean, nowadays, I think, when you have certain big screenwriters getting attached to produce something um, and having a production company is a little bit more common, I think, than it used to be um, in terms of producers uh, and feature. But working in TV as a writer-producer and then working in film as a producer and uh, you know filmmaker as well I know you've shot some of your own shorts and things like that so uh, you have your hands in all the different baskets so to speak which I think is uh, fascinating but it's got to be challenging how do you make that sort of work when you're working professionally as a writer in television looking for your next job writing your next spec pilot whatever it happens to be working on your assignments on your episodes and then at the same time you have your own production company and you're reading material you I'm sure you have your own material, you're developing, you're trying to raise financing, you're trying to, that sort of thing. How do you, how are you able to make that all work? It was really born out of necessity, right? Like I didn't know anybody in the business. And when I first got here, it's like, who's going to pay me to, to do things. And I was very like, you know, hat in my hand, like, Hey, I have experience in a couple of these different things. Like, 
what can I do to, to make money to pay my rent? And some very kind people were like, well, I have this casting project. Do you want to try your hand at casting? And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it, you know? And so I think what ended up happening is that um, I ended up falling into a bunch of these different things just out of like, I need to eat and I need to make contacts. And how do I put those things together? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really kindness of my friends who I'd done like free work for before in the past and, um, you know, who helped me get on some of their projects. And then eventually what happened is like, I just couldn't give them up. And so it was, okay, well now I have these agents um, as a producer and they're getting me other work. Um but I'm also writing and, and it was very much having those difficult conversations of like, you know, on this project, I wear this hat and on this project, I wear this hat. Mm-hmm. And if you can't understand and respect that, then like, maybe this is not going to be a good fit for us to work together and being okay with saying no and walking away from things that didn't make sense where I wasn't going to be able to have that balance and you know when you're trying to make a name for yourself and trying to make quality projects and stuff sometimes that's really hard but in the end you're you're better served for just being clear right right setting those boundaries uh i do want to talk to you more about fellowships and things like that because i know a lot of our uh, audience is tv or you know emerging tv writers but we've got a few questions from the chat that i kind of wanted to run by you um, let's see here. Uh, Art uh, Tiwari, who is a regular, uh, we love Art. He says, um, I have seen frequently, especially on Twitter and such, people trying to shame people for being multi-hyphenated. Um, focus on one, they say. Any suggestions on how to best respond besides blocking them? Yeah, I mean, listen, it took me a long time to figure this one out, too, because mm. I... I just couldn't, but I think it does help to separate yourself into different buckets. Like they're not entirely wrong in that the agent system and the manager system and your reps, the people who are there to like help you move along and make money and make it a business because it is a business, they have to know how to sell you. And unfortunately, sometimes saying like, I'm a writer, producer, director, when I haven't had anything really produced or made that, you know, you can sort of hang a hat on, it makes it really difficult to to sell. And it makes the person seem like maybe even more of an amateur than they actually are. And so I used to have like different business cards for different things, like all the time. And so like, if I, if I had a movie in a short film, like if I had a short film in a film festival, um, and I was the director and writer on that. Like I would have a little card that was like writer director. And then if I was trying to get a different kind of job, like if I was trying to get a line producing job or a creative producing job, like I had business cards that just said that. Um, if I was trying my hand at casting, you know, cause I had a bunch of credits in that space. I had a business card and a resume that mm. just said that. And so I really tried to tailor my, all of my experience to the thing that someone needed so that they would hire me. And so I don't think that it's shying away from like, I have experience in all of these things. I think it's more like reframing it so that you give your reps the tools to sell you. 
And so, you know, I, I like to say, like, for example, in the writing space that I'm genre agnostic, but that doesn't help my, that doesn't help my reps sell me. Mm -hmm. What does help sell me is Gabby writes usually about Latino characters. She usually writes about complicated family dynamics. She usually writes about people who are trying to find themselves, who are sort of lost in a space. And, um, you know, she tends to write in the same tone, which is like more in a dramedy tone. So if you're going to get a sci-fi project from her, it's probably going to be in the dramedy space. So, you know, like think you have to sort of help people help you. Mm-hmm. And and if having, you know, sort of different business cards and tailoring your resume to the things that are specific that people are looking for can help you, that's something that's really helped me. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, I, th- I think so. We'll, I'm sure Art will respond in the chat if he has a follow-up. Um, and he had actually, there's a couple other questions from him as well. He says the audio is and video are both smooth this time. Great. Uh, uh, Theo uh, Luoma, I hope I pronounced your name right, Theo, says, loving this so much. Thanks for these insights. So uh, I guess you're answering well, uh, you've got some great answers here. Um, Art also says, what are the possibilities or how can one work as a screenwriter, director, producer while living in New York? Oh, well, that's your old neck of the woods. Uh, like being bi-coastal, open to travel, uh, having an agent there, how to find one, thoughts? Yeah, so many good stuff. I mean, it's so hard. Like everybody finds their agent in such different ways and their managers in some different ways. I think like the best advice somebody gave me was just... Uh, network and be open and I was a mom so I found that really I still am a mom but I found that advice really frustrating because I was like oh I can't be people and then I sort of realized it's like oh be a little more strategic with my networking so you know I'd go to conferences that I could afford and film festivals are a great place to meet other people and you know you'll end up getting referrals there and what happens is if you're sort of open to like how you can help them as well, I think you'll make actual friendships, which then is what helps you get an agent. Like I, I got an agent because we, I, I was friends with somebody who had that agent as well. And she knew my voice and we wrote something together and she was like, you should really call her and I'm going to put in a good word for you. And that was really helpful to get to the top of that reading pile. And same thing with my manager. It was, yes, I wrote to her sort of out of the blue, but I was able to say, I've worked with so-and-so and so-and-so of your clients. And when she called them to ask about me, they were like, Gabby's great. And we, you know, loved working with her on these projects. And so it didn't feel like a self-serving thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say network as much as you can. Um, because you don't know where that opportunity is going to come to meet people work as much as you can um, you know on other friends projects and stuff like that so that you can build up a credit list Um, and those are the things that are going to help you get ahead and you can do that in New York Um, I I personally think that my career is if I had stayed in New York City just on the screenwriting side it's it's just different Mm -hmm. Uh, and yes, the pandemic has opened a lot of doors and all of that, but that's not going right. to, so I would say take advantage of it where you are now, um, and do as many zooms as you can and network as best you can over zoom. And, but eventually I do think that being here 
affords you other opportunities that being elsewhere doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, Art also said, oh, this is so scabby. Uh, and then he asks, what are your thoughts on a screenwriter getting a short or feature produced with friends for no budget, then festival, etc., and use that as a platform for them as a produced screenwriter? Oh, I see. So getting your first credit by shooting your own film, a feature or a short, something like that, Do you, uh, specifically as a, as a screenwriter. Yeah, it depends on how well received it is. Like I definitely had friends that made, spent very little money on a feature and, you know, it was a lot of money for them, you know, and, um, and it didn't come out great. And so then they ended up with a sample that was, they didn't want to show to anybody because it was so lackluster mm. and they just, it was putting like the the wrong foot forward. So I think just know what your thing is, right? And um, if you're making, you know, Insecure, the web version, like that didn't have all the bells and whistles before that it has now, you know? And so if you go back and watch those, it's for what they could afford, but it's less sets. It's, it's less time. It's, you know, they sort of knew what it was before it became something else. And mm -hmm. so if you're very purposeful about what it is that you're shooting and, and have very realistic expectations about what it is and what it looks like, um, then that can serve you to be something else, you know? Yeah, no, I no, it absolutely does. And I think that goes to sort of what I've heard from a lot of reps that it's better to have a great looking short than a mediocre feature by yeah. far. Um, and also take this into account that uh, I'm friends with, because I, I grew up in, in the South Bay. And so we used to go to video archives when it existed. And uh, one of my friends worked there and he was uh, good friends with Quentin Tarantino. Um, Quentin had, had left there by the time I, I started going, but he had told me that Quentin shot a short film called My Best Friend's Birthday, and actually my friend was in it. And it never saw the light of day. He, uh, natural Born Killers, and he sold... Reservoir Reservoir, Dogs. Res he made Reservoir Dogs, yeah, from the money that he had, uh, and he got fi help financing from Roger... A uh, not Roger Avery, it was uh, his producing partner, uh, Lawrence Bender, had raised money um, to shoot it. But he... He had a directing short, a sample, his My Best Friend's Birthday, but he never showed it to anyone because, like you had said, it just wasn't that level. Like, it should have been. I have been. a directing sample that I, that I love that I directed, and mm -hmm. the sound is just awful. Oh. And, um, you know, somebody was doing it for free, so it's like I couldn't – but I can't use it because anytime I send it, I send it a wrong message, and I'm like, ah, but it's like a great writing sample and a great directing sample – and I've tried to get it fixed and it's just like, it can't. So what I ended up doing is making it a trailer. Oh, okay. And, and that gets me work. Right? Oh, good. People are like, oh, I get it. You know? So sometimes like if you did something that didn't exactly work for what it was intended to be, mm -hmm. see if there's some, something else that it can become that can also help you. No, that's great. Absolutely. Um, let's, uh, Theo Luoma asked, would you suggest that up-and-coming screenwriters have a proof-of-concept short prepared? I mean, if proof-of-concept, it means that it's going to be something else, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a proof that you can write or direct 
or produce something else. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, should you have, you know, a sample ready to be shot? Like, yeah, you know, always, I have a bunch of things that I think are like in ready for when someone wants to give me money. But the reality is that that doesn't always happen that way. And so, yes, have a short sample that can serve you for staffing for, you know, I, I had to give multiple samples of different things, you know, to my showrunner. And some people like gave plays, you know, in addition to their, um, to their pilot, they also sent in plays or short stories. So like always have other things that are ready to go. And then what you do with that will depend on, you know, your personal situation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you have something great and you can get it made, like get it made. Yeah. I don't know if, Theo was specify or specifically talking about a proof of concept short film or actually just the script ready to shoot in case somebody comes along and says they should not we don't have the resources to shoot a feature but we can start with a short I don't know uh, which they're referring to uh, but that was a good answer <laughs> it also depends on your process like I have sure. things that I don't know yet what they are like I have a, a fantasy thing I've been playing with and um, I didn't know what it was. So the first thing I had done was like artwork, you know, mm. and I worked with somebody to do that. And I was like, okay, now I see it. Okay. But is it a movie? Is it a feed? Like how much of this do I want to tell? And in figuring that out, I wrote a short just to, just for me to understand myself, like, what is it that I love about the story? What is it that I want to say and how much of it, you know, can I play with? Mm -hmm. And that was really helpful. So just like in your process, sometimes if you don't know what a thing is, something that's really helped me is figuring out, well, what is, what is the, the proof of concept? Like, what is the whiplash version? What is the short? And in that, I have to ask myself, what do I really want to say? How long do I want to take to say it? How much do I really need to tell the story? Is it open-ended? Does it have a clear end? Like, all of those things will become clear to you sometimes when you just put it to paper. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Och Ochakai, uh, what is the job of a producer anyway? I thought there was more financing involved than it seems. Well, I'll let you describe the different roles of different producers in different capacities on different projects. Oh my gosh, there are so many different producers. What do producers do anyway? Mm -hmm. It varies from project to project, but I'll tell you, like, I've been a line producer where I've been primarily responsible for uh, the physical manifestation of the movie. So everything from hiring crew to making sure that um, we have a budget and that we can accomplish to making sure that we have a schedule that we can accomplish. So working with the AD to make sure that what they want to do is in line with what we have money for and that we can deliver that on time and within the parameters that were allotted to us. Um, so that, you know, so that's a line producer on smaller projects, line producers do a lot more creative work as well. Um, just because it's the nature of the beast, there aren't as many other producers involved. So it's a great way how to be a creative producer, um, producers that I've worked with who just secured the financing and they do nothing else mm -hmm. other than like, they want to be kept in the loop about who we're hiring, who we're casting. Sometimes they want to come to the to the production meeting and like have people say how great they are. So I definitely <laughs> have had those producers. Mm -hmm. um, 
I've had producers in name only who I've never even met and we share revenue on, on certain projects and like I had a few phone calls with them. Um, I have producers, sometimes actors are attached as producers in varying degrees. Sometimes they're very involved and sometimes, you know, they answer an email every once in a mm-hmm. while or they'll make a call. Sometimes the calls are pivotal, but to get somebody else on. Um, then there's, you know, development that a producer does. Like I've done a lot of development on scripts and try to figure out not just how this, is this the best version of the story to tell, but also is this a story we can afford to tell? Who are the best people to tell this story? Um, so there's there's a lot of different hats. And then there's executive producers, you know, who means a lot of different things too. You know, in film, you can have an executive producer that helped put together a piece of the financing, or I am often given the executive producer title because I negotiate a lot of those deals, even though they're not my money. I'll figure out, you know, what are the right financing pieces that belong and sort of track and manage that in addition to other producing efforts. I hope that that answered your question, but there's a lot, it can mean a lot of different things right? depending on what project you're working on. Yeah. The line producers, the nuts and bolts producer, the creative producers, the financial producers, and then the vanity producers. Uh, uh, yeah. I've also so. been a co-producer on things hmm. and you're the mean. I, I, I know what I was to other people really varies by project. When you get into the bigger budgets, it doesn't vary so much. It's much more cut and dry. Although there are, they um, do, know, do tend to be some more vanity producers at the higher levels where you have an exec or a manager or an actor's manager attaching themselves as a producer and they have very little input and, but they come to the premiere and they probably get a nice check, but yeah, yeah. I let my, my client read it. So now I'm a, an executive producer. Um, Sometimes people are there just to look out for the interest of one particular person. Sure. Like I recently did a movie with somebody who their you know guy was a producer on the movie and they were lit, all their questions revolved around what this meant mm. for this other person involved in the project mm-hmm. and how it would affect their bottom line how it would affect their revenue sharing how it would affect like their say on the project so you know different people serve different purposes right i once heard and i don't know if it's actually true or not that on a film must have been back in the 90s early 2000s Jean-Claude Van Damme's trainer got an associate producer credit on 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 a film but anyway yeah maybe uh let's see here um okay so uh Art also wanted to say uh you think it's not a good idea to put multi-hyphenate in your bio on social media um, I don't know if he meant literally writing my multi-hyphenate, but probably like writer, director, producer, whatever. I, I need to be so prescriptive about these right. things. I think that, you know, that is what, what you do, right? But I would say that it's a good idea if you have credits that can back that up, mm. that you have produced, that you can point people to. Because what's really hard is if somebody's like, oh, my friend Art is a multi-hyphenate. He does all of these other things. And then if somebody wanted to hire you, you know, interview you for a job and be like, that's great. I'm looking for somebody who's a writer, director, producer. Like, can you send me a few things that he's done? 
And then if you don't have a few of those things to show, it'll make your friend look bad. It'll Mm. make you not look great. And so I would say if you have those credits, like definitely that's who you are. Embrace it. Love it. Like shout it from the rooftops. But if you don't have those credits yet, um, then just, you know, hold a beat and, you know, say what it is that you are focusing on and then you'll add them as you get them, you know? And I think your multiple business card idea was a good one. And I think someone else had mentioned that as well. I think Theo mentioned it as well in the chat that that's a really great idea. I remember specifically meeting a guy who had on his business card, it was writer, director, producer, actor, camera operator, grip electric, still photographer, you know, had like 30 things on his credit on his uh, business card. And I'm thinking this guy must not work a lot because like, who's going to hire this individual? You don't take them as seriously, right. you know? but if you, if somebody's like, I'm a director, sure. right? And you're like, oh, okay, let me see what this person's done. Right. But then in my pocket, when I meet somebody else who's looking for a writer, I'm like, I'm a writer. Right, <laughs> you know? right. I don't know. It worked. It really helped me because I was very unfocused and all over the place. Um, let's see here. Uh, do, 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 do. Okay, here's one that says how to get an agent or manager in LA while living in New York. Uh, question being, how can I, how can one have this career while living in New York? Not if, but how. Um, so I guess they want advice on terms of finding representation and or getting their career going in New York as opposed to Los Angeles, like staying in yeah. New York. You know, I know people who have put on plays mm-hmm. and stage readings and stuff like that and uh, in in New York and eventually like that's how they got their agents because people came to these things and they found um, people who really loved their work and started sort of sending it around and uh, telling other people about it or when your plays off, off, off Broadway or winning, you know, any kind of small award. Like, I think all of those little things help put you, put your email, you know, slightly higher on the list of things to, to read. Mm-hmm. It also helps like when you reach out to reps to like, just be professional, like sometimes and, and things that you wouldn't necessarily know off the bat, but like, not attaching a script to it like there's no faster way to get your email deleted from somebody's inbox a producer a writer a director um a rep then attach then attaching Mm -hmm. those materials to the email of somebody that you don't know for example i didn't know that when i was first starting you know i thought like i'm making it easy for them all in one but that's is unprofessional and like maybe instantly and so there are things like that that you can do that you know learning to have a very quick two or three sentence bio about like hey i just won this award off 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 broadway and i'm looking to invite more people you know from your company in new york you know please let me know if you'd like to attend below is the log line you know so keeping things like sort of short and sweet um is really helpful familiarize yourself with what agencies are in new york city mm-hmm. You know, also, if you write prose, like, can you get published somewhere? Um, you know, can you submit to different 
literary magazines and get published. I think the more little things that you have that say, like, look, I am actually a serious professional writer, uh, the more people will take you seriously, the more you'll meet other people and like work begets work. And the more you work, the more you'll be in situations where you can meet people who will want to represent you. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about getting an agent in New York. I, I think that he was talking about getting an agent in or manager in Los Angeles from New York. Uh, oh. Although what you had mentioned is true, if you happen to sign as a playwright with ICM in New York and you also have feature scripts, they will absolutely send it to the, you know, the feature side in Los Angeles. So that's definitely one way in for sure if you have those other additional sort of – you work in other mediums. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean – I think it's just, it comes back down to like networking. And, and unfortunately I, I spent so many years like chasing reps and I just like wish so much for everyone that they knew that when you're working, like they show up They'll they find you, and they don't care that you live in New York. You know what I mean? Like I could live right now in New Zealand and my reps would rep me because we have those personal connections now. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think some of it is, and I know it's so frustrating, but it's, um, doing the work mm -hmm. and networking and trying to meet other people. And as you are getting more accolades, as you are getting paid to write, um, people do sort of start to show themselves and you'll start to know in intuitively like where are the right people for you? So for now, like do the research, like who represents people who I love, whose careers I want to emulate. Like how can I sort of keep tabs on that? And are any of them speaking on a panel that I can go to? Uh, do I ever have the opportunity to be at round tables with people like that? You know, at conferences are great for that. And you can meet, meet, start to meet those people. You know, and, and sometimes people will say they want to read you if you have an interesting story. Know what your personal story is. What's your personal brand? Um, and as you fine tune that, you'll find people that will gravitate towards it. Well, and I think you had mentioned something earlier that was really, really relevant and important is that building your network and but also helping other people working on their projects and building those genuine networks and friendships not just i shot something do you want to help me make my thing going out there and helping other people as well which comes back around because you're all trying to make it you're all trying to get ahead and whoever gets ahead first can pull hopefully the others up with them and i mean that's the way it works uh, so it's not just about trying to get people hey will you read my script will you pass this on to somebody but Oh, you need help making your short film? I can do camera for you, or I can make sandwiches, whatever it happens to be. Let me tell you, the Seattle indie film community yeah. has shit on lockdown. They know how to do this. Megan Griffiths, who is like an incredible director, she directed you know a couple episodes of like Room One Hundred and Four, and she did Eden, which is a movie I really love. Um, she worked like crafty on mm -hmm. one of Lynn Shelton's movies, like. Lynn Shelton worked as an AD on somebody else's movie. Meg uh, Eslin, uh, Mel Eslin, I'm sorry, who works for the Duplass brothers. She 
works with the Duplass brothers. She used to um, AD UPM direct, like on all on each other's movies. And they're inc- like an incredible film community. If you can find that, build that, mm-hmm. um, you will all rise up together. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, let's see here. Um, well, this sort of segues into our next topic, which is uh, Art also asked, how important and useful are these fellowships, especially in terms of getting actual jobs and making money versus focusing on writing and filmmaking and actually competing screenplays and films to show? Uh, so maybe you can talk a little bit about your uh, we'll take more reader question or more v- audience questions in just a minute but maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience applying to the fellowships maybe tips for getting into fellowships and then how it benefited you how do you think it helped sort of helped your career they both helped me in really different ways I would say like one of them really helped me with craft that I didn't even know how much I really needed you know and and it really did help me with that and then the other one got me a job mm-hmm. which is I needed that too. (laughs) And, you know, without that fellowship, I am sure that it would have taken me another God knows how many years to get into a million little things, like to get in, in a room. Um, and it, I was like, I don't understand, but I've already like optioned a feature. Like, I don't get it. You know, like I'm already making money as a screenwriter. Why don't people hire me in the room? And I just didn't know them. And I didn't know the right people. And then once I started meeting cover, I didn't even know what a covering exec was, you know, and like, how was I going to get a job when I didn't even know who was responsible for hiring me? Mm-hmm. I thought I just had to get to the showrunner. I didn't realize that I had to meet these covering execs. And at certain companies, I had to meet the development exec too. And I had to like pass all of these other people. I had to meet with the production company. Like I didn't realize that that was all a part of it until the last fellowship that I did. And then I could be really strategic about it because then I understand this now. I have to pass all of these people to get this one slot on the show. So, okay, let me try and uh, finagle that a little bit. And then I could be more purposeful with my reps about like, what are the things that we're going to try to go after? So I I think fellowships are great and they do help you get in. They will serve different purposes, um, but you will get out of it what you put into it. And really the best thing that's come out of both of those endeavors where uh, the relationships with other writers mm-hmm. and they're the people that read something before I go to a pitch you know they're the people that understand like oh my god I have to pitch something in a week and I have to put together this pitch document can I pitch it to you live and and they'll be there and that's invaluable <laughs> you know like I couldn't pay somebody for that to people who know my writing who are like Gab you're doing this thing again like come on this is bullshit. It's like to the root of what it is that you have to say in this document. Let me pitch you jokes to add. Um, So I think they're very valuable and they can lead to making actual money. You just have to um, figure out sort of how to utilize them to your advantage. See Mm -hmm. what you're, what, where you are lacking that that can help fill in the gap a little bit. Um, And how do you get in? I mean, 
I don't even know. You know, like I think the first time I got in, I got really lucky, but both times that I got in with samples that were really personal to me, um, that were things that were very much drawn from my life and I could speak to them with a lot of authority because they were based on something I had lived through. Um, and I don't mean like, oh, my character is Latina and, you know, she works in writing. Like, no, I mean, like one of them was based on, you know, very real emotional situation I had with a divorce. You know, mm. my character is a marriage counselor. I'm not a marriage counselor, but we went through this very similar thing and how we found out about, you know, what the spouse was doing was the same sort of story. And so it was very much personal to my life. So both times I wrote a sample that I think only I could, could write. And it spoke very much to my voice and to the kinds of writing that I like to do and that I want to see on TV. And I spent a lot of time on my essays, a lot of time. Like I think both times it was like, okay, this is the pilot. Either they like it or they don't like it. And, you know, obviously like made sure it didn't have grammatical errors or anything like that. But the, the pilots I had to be unapologetic for, like the, this is me, these are mine. And the essays, I spent a lot of time reminding them that I'm a storyteller mm -hmm. and feeling like a campfire sort of like story. Um, and if I was bored reading them, like they were going to be bored reading them. So I really tried to like say them out loud and make sure that they felt like a story. And that's that really helped me. Can you talk a little bit about or describe what your essays were like were they first person were they third person did you write it in the form of uh, uh, a script did you write i mean how creatively did you take it and, and what direction did you go i think they were definitely in the tone of the writing that mm -hmm. i did um so like if you're writing a comedy like make sure your essay is funny you know sure. even if you're writing something that's devastating to you so i write a lot of dramedy right and so i start one of them i started by saying, um, my life has been defined by other people's heart defects. And it was like a sort of instant- That's a great opening. Line, thank you. <laughs> and then I went on to explain how like, I had met my, you know, got my first job because somebody had a heart attack. That actually I went all the way back to like, I came into the country because my mom lied to my then biological father, told him that I had a heart defect mm. that uh, so that I could leave the country and come in undocumented. Uh, then, you know, I got my first job because somebody had this heart issue. Um, I had my first divorce because my husband had this heart issue and that's how we realized we were not compatible. Um, I had to give up my first writing job because my daughter had a heart condition, mm. was born with a heart condition and I thought I would never get to write again. And so I went through these sort of like key moments in my life that had that were related to business, you know, I definitely like interwove that, but also that were very specific only to me. And then I ended it with like, that's why I usually write about heartache, right? And so it was full circle. sort of tied it all together. Yeah. Um, and it, that's what makes it memorable. You know, can you start with a line that describes you that only, you know, that's very specific to you? By the way, it took me a long time to find that. I started with my life has been, uh, I can tell you about my life through all of the 
the men who start with like J names in it, you know? So it was like, it took me a long time to figure out what was the thing, but I tried on a few different hats for it. Well, I mean, but that line is absolutely perfect because at no, you can't read that line and go, okay, I need to find out what this is all about. At no point is this, well, I really would like to get into the program because, or I grew up in this back, it's my life has always been defined by other people's heart heart defects or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, heart defects. Yeah, I mean, I remember the line and how can you not go, okay, I, where's the rest of this? I, I need to read this and find out what, what exactly that means. Yeah. So no, and it, it tied everything together. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So it definitely, I think, showed uh, a, a lot of creativity as well as obviously writing ability. But um, no, that's great yeah. because I, I, I've always wondered with those individuals that have gotten in if they went a more traditional route or if they went really esoteric and, and strange, you know, did, you know, included themselves in some sort of narrative fiction or, you know, how it went. But yours definitely sounds very personal and uh, very uh, poignant. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah, well, so. And it tied directly to what I wrote about, right? Which was yeah. like, I so I wrote about heartache because mm -hmm. this is the thing I'm very, like, familiar with in all of these different ways. And so then they know that you can attribute like a note to different things you right. know and so it, it really it helped me a lot and I would say if you can play with that play with your opening lines like a lot mm -hmm. and see I mean I must have written 12 versions of that opening line and then I found that one and it was like oh yeah this is what it is and then it frames all the rest of it right right no that's great um Let's see here. A couple more questions. Art uh, asked again. Let's see here. Uh, as an option screenwriter, no formal representation for myself, though. However, the projects are co-written and repped by ICM, who wants to focus on writing, directing, filmmaking. Any suggestions? Uh, so I guess yeah. their writing partner uh, has is repped, but they're not. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always so tricky, you know, you got to decide, like, are you going to be writing partners for everything? And if so, like, they should represent the team. But if not, you know, and if they're not looking to take anybody on right now, um, you know, it's hard to force the issue because they clearly have seen your writing. And if they wanted to rep you as well, like, they would reach out to set up a meeting, you know, so mm -hmm. if you tried that route or talked to your co-writer about that route um you know just be honest with them like how comfortable would you feel asking your reps to read me at some point um and maybe it's something that you work on together um but just be clear with your writing partner about that um and be honest with yourself about where you are in the process um i unfortunately like reached out to people too early sometimes and um you know, those people now have a vision of me as like this particular kind of writer. And I will, it will take me time to undo that, to undo that notion. Um, so I would be careful with that. But, um, you know, you may find your own reps when you're, when you're ready. And that's okay, too. But I would start with having a conversation with my writing partner. Mm -hmm. you know, actually, start with having a conversation with yourself do I want this person to be like my writing partner always? And is that a conversation that I want to have? Maybe the, maybe the answer to that is no. Um, either way, you can talk to your 
writing partner on these projects and say like, hey, I feel like I'm really ready to have representation. I'd love to meet your agents and managers if you feel comfortable with that. Like, please let me know. Mm-hmm. And then be prepared for whatever that answer is. You know, sometimes people will say, you know, I'm, I'm just starting. I don't feel like I have that relationship yet. Like, let's hold a beat. And then you can revisit it in a bit. But, but try not to be desperate because everybody can smell that. And right. it's very off-putting. I know because I've been that person. Right. Like dating. Yeah. If someone's super desperate, it, it's not appealing. <laughs> um, I've definitely been that person and it's really hindered my my growth. Well, I think a lot of newer writers, emerging writers, it's the same thing. You know, it, it, I think a lot of newer writers give off that because one, you are desperate. You want to get that rep. You think that that rep is the end goal when it's really just sort of one stepping stone. And they think that that's the gates are going to open once that happens. So that's what I'm focused on solely. Right. Um, I do so much more work myself now that I have representation because mm. I know what is expected of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know like what I need to keep producing to make it happen. And so I, you don't think that the work ends when you find a rep because mm-hmm. it's in just many starting. Ways, yeah. It just ends. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brendan Valley Ross asks, in terms of growth as a writer-director, what are your thoughts on using script coverage services or submitting work to screenplay competitions for getting better and eventually getting representation? I think it depends, again, on where you are. Like, I, there was a time in my career that I found that very helpful. Mm-hmm. And um, coverage, not so much the competitions, but the coverage was really helpful and then eventually I found like a writer's group that fulfilled that niche so I didn't have to spend money that I didn't have on that um but there are a couple that will always be helpful like the nickels is always going to be helpful so like that's one that you know you should do um Austin is always going to be helpful that's one that makes sense to do Sundance is always going to be helpful but outside of that you know, really be judicious with it. I have a friend, my friend Paige made a list of all of the screenwriting competitions she wanted to join, she wanted to submit to. Mm -hmm. And then she added up all that money and found that it was like thousands of dollars. And instead of doing that, she invested in herself and was like, okay, well, if I was going to put all this money on a credit card anyway, I'm going to invest that money in doing an audio drama version of my script and so and that ended up being like a thousand times more helpful to her in her career and in getting other jobs than submitting to screenplays to screenplay competitions but I will say that I have certainly I didn't get repped from that but it certainly helped me figure out what I wanted creatively some of these things to be just based on what other people were saying mm-hmm. but the, the most helpful for me one time was i paid for coverage um for uh just formatting stuff and it was so helpful um and that but really join a writer's group that's that's going to help you with your craft and i think join you know submit to the big screenwriting competitions and then right. check yourself with where you are financially 
I think that's really what it comes down to is what you had said is sort of be judicious about what you're going to do and be realistic about your financial situation. If you have a high paying job or you come from a lot of money and you want to spread it around, chances are most of them won't do very much for you, but there are those that will. And even if you get coverage or notes back and they're helpful, that could be what the catalyst that helps you improve it. So, and we've heard good things about certain readers, individual readers, or like the blacklist um, site that some reps actually do take very seriously. But again, it's, it's all hit or miss. If you have the resources to do it, then it, it could potentially be helpful. But for the kind of money that you have to spend, you know, if, if your money is, is tight. Yeah. There are other ways like Gabby was saying. It also just depends. Like I have a script that gets me read and gets me work. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a screenplay competition, like tear it apart and mm-hmm. say that it was like the, one of the worst scripts I'd ever read. Um, so, you know, it, you're t- putting a lot of weight and a lot of money on one person's opinion of something and you don't know where they come from like i like i write about a lot of like latino things i'm latin american and my humor is going to be a little different than even like u.s born latinos and so you know like i'm putting a lot of stock on you know connor reader from you know montana Mm -hmm. so i do think that you have to take that in, into account as well. And like you had said, getting a writer's group is probably even more effective if, if you can get a good writer's group together, reading your stuff. They can know you as a writer. They can see different drafts and things like that. And call you out on your bullshit. Yeah. And also uh, for a lot of these competitions, the readers are like you. They're just aspiring writers. They're not industry professionals per se they're not anyone with any more credibility or credits than you and in fact so you're paying for that you're paying for getting somebody you don't don't know who's in a different writers group maybe (laughs) reading your work as opposed to just having a writers group or having a group of friends that you trust to read your material so Yeah. yeah uh let's see here sp says i'm a screenwriter who is currently living in japan uh, but plan to move to Los Angeles next year. Do you know of any things I should try to take advantage of while here? Should I just focus on my craft? I mean, that's what I would do. You know, I think for me, it's like, are is there a thriving industry in Japan that you are already in with? Do you write... Um, do you write things that already jive with the general market sense there? Um, yeah, do what you can to make those connections. Those connections will serve you here or there. Um, but if you are planning on moving to Los Angeles, yes. I mean, I wish, I wish that, you know, I had not had to have a a full-time job and that I could focus on, you can focus on writing somehow, uh, and hone your craft. Like, please do that because no one can take that away from you. Mm Mm-hmm. And what I'll say as well is try to have, if you, if at all possible, have as many things lined up, especially now with COVID, with managers and, and, and agents, mostly managers, uh, available on Twitter, on for Zooms, things like that. 
if you can get read, if you can get meetings uh, in place for when you come out so that you're not starting from square one, you're starting a few steps ahead, you know, once you come to Los Angeles. Um, so that if, if you can, again, set up meetings, set up whatever you can, that's even just friendly meetings. Um, that, I think that's a good thing. Um, Especially friendly meetings yeah. where you're not asking people for something. You yeah. know, sometimes just saying like, I'm a writer in Japan. I've won these and these awards and I, you know, I've had these things. I'm moving to Los Angeles. I'm looking to meet a few more people. Would love to grab a virtual coffee if you're right. available. I'll right. be in town these days. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, or even once once the uh, COVID restrictions are lifted, everyone's vaccinated. You know, offer to take them to coffee or lunch or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see here. Um, SP adds, how can you know or make sure that you're ready to send your work out to reps? Yeah, this is a really hard one. I struggle with this one, you know, now. But um, I think what I have been doing that has been working for me is when I think I'm done with a draft, like I've done multiple revisions of it. My writer's group has read it and given notes. Um, I've had other people read it and give notes and pitch jokes and stuff like that. I put it away for a couple of weeks and I try to force myself not to read it. Mm -hmm. And I set a reminder in my calendar. And then when that time is up, I read through it and I make sure that I, I still really like it, that it wasn't just like the emotional, like, Oh, I finished, you know, that makes you, you just want to send it right away, you know? And sometimes like forcing yourself to take that little bit of restriction and be like, okay, wait, let's, let me make sure this is what I want it to be. You'll always catch an additional typo that you didn't even know you had and you'll just feel better about it. And then you'll feel good about sending it out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Gabby has a heart out at one thirty, so we'll take a few more questions. If anyone has them, you can drop them in the chat. But while we wait for a few more questions, I wanted to ask you, you had mentioned you made your made sure your work was personal in terms of four fellowships, uh, your essay specifically, um, obviously. Uh, but what other tips would you have for those applying to fellowships? Anything in particular that you felt uh, may have been influential in your getting accepted to the two fellowships? Um, with the second one that I applied, to, so for Disney, mm -hmm. I applied really early, I remember. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know why, but that, I, I felt like I even forgot that I had applied. Like that's how I, I applied so early. And I had really been working on it bef long before the deadline and had it all pretty ready to go. And so like when the time came, I wasn't really stressed about it. I mm. gave myself a lot of time. And I think that that, that really helped because I wasn't like, oh, I have to meet this deadline here. It was, I, I'd already sort of knew the year before that I was going to apply and, and took my time with that. Um, so that really helped me. And then I would say, um, having the samples be similar in tone like a lot of times you submit more than one sample mm -hmm. you know at least both of the ones that i had to go to i had to submit two samples um and having them be similar in tone even if they're different genres will really help you because then they're like oh 
this is this is what this person does and like for me for example a lot of my action lines are similar like i talk to the reader sometimes i gotcha um i have friends who write like uh in their scripts like after big action things are always like fuck <laughs> you know like they write <laughs> little notes to the reader mm -hmm. or i have people who have um characters that are fidgeting a lot when they're talking like what is your sort of start finding your thing and both of my scripts had that and so i think like when you pick them up you're like this is written by the same person and so it felt very um oh this is how gabby writes right like she has a style that is consistent and if you don't like it that's okay it's not going to be for every but it's was similar and consistent. And so both scripts, not only were they personal stories in my life, but they um, had a similar look on the page. So that I think was really helpful. Yeah. And I think it goes to always find your voice. They, everyone's looking for a writer who has a specific voice. And I think that's sort of what you're relaying you've found that and you want to illustrate that by doing two things you know two samples that are similar in tone and have similar uh pacing or structure or whatever even if they're different genres um whatever it happens to be so i think that that's because when you describe your your writing i can sort of visualize it i can see what kind of writer you are just by you talking about it and i think that's important because they want to you want to be on a list, right? They need to put you on a list because they succeed yeah. based on how many writers they place on actual shows. And when you succeed, they look good. So they want to find writers who fit yeah. that sort of list. Um, I want to help people do their job, you know, like right. help them help you. Mm -hmm. And then I remember a spec that I had to write for Fox. I read all of their, uh, as many of the scripts as I could find online of one of those shows. Mm -hmm. And I, I very much like, I even remember that the, the writer of that show used to end every scene with, um, and as we leave, blah, 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 we are left wondering dot, dot, dot for that's not typically like how I write. I have seen it since, but mm -hmm. sure that in my version of that, uh, of that spec to emulate that mm -hmm. as much as possible. And so. I think if you're writing a spec, like what are the of those writers? Like the WGA Foundation has all of these scripts. You can literally like read the spec of one day at a time and you want to write like in the voice of Gloria Calderon Kellick and Mike Royce, then it has them there. Mm -hmm. And you can just sort of see what are their little quirks and their things. And if you write a spec of those shows, um, you know, it, it helps to say like, oh, hey, I know that voice. And you don't have to be a Writers Guild member to go to the Writers Guild Foundation Library. So if you're in, oh, I'll buy no, it. Yeah. I'm an ID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, here's the last couple questions. Uh, any tips on how things not queries or pitch uh, pitches for people who I do not directly or indirectly know? Find a way to have a connection. So part of that is going to be through other networks, you know, keeping sort of a list of people that you wanted to meet. I, I'll give you an ex a very specific example. I have been wanting to meet Galen Hurd mm. for 
years 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 she is a producer whose life i am like would want to emulate who has had a career trajectory with movies that i would want to make and for years like i have kept a small list of like five women who i want to meet and i try to like work it in conversation sometimes with different people you know who i know like might know her and just like oh, i'd love to meet her i'd love to meet her mm-hmm. but never asking for that sure um i joined women in film a few years ago she's on the board of women in film and i you know after doing several mentorship programs there i finally got friendly after years a very slow burn meeting here um but finally asked one of the women there like hey she was like abby you do so much for our community you've like really helped x y and z you've read x y and z people like how can we help you and i was like there's one to me and i know she's here you know works here if it's ever possible this is the one person i'd really like to meet i have a meeting with gail and her tomorrow wow it has taken me multiple i've made 20 30 plus movies uh you know this wasn't like a call that i just asked to make mm-hmm. it's like a thing that i've been working on very slowly could i have asked my managers last year yeah maybe but it wouldn't have had the same tone you know sure. like now she sent me an email yesterday and was like i'm so excited to chat with you i loved palm springs so now we have like a thing mm-hmm. we can talk about and i'm like oh my god watch my movie right you know, but it's been a very slow burn. No, that's that's amazing. Uh, yeah, Galen Heard, for those who don't know, you should if you want to work in the business. You know, Terminator and uh, Walking Dead and, I mean, just a long list of credits. No, she's amazing. Um, well, good luck with that meeting. That's Thank you. Amazing. I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, let's see, the last question here. SP says, when do you think the age of sequels and franchises will die down and make way for more original content? They will never die down because they already make money. Mm. And especially right now, we need parks to open again, you know, when it's safe and we need people to make money. And the, those things are not going away. People like them. They want to watch them. But with the rise of streaming, like you are going to see more day and date releases than you already have, you know, Palm Springs is an independent movie Um, because there is more room in the marketplace for that. And you will continue to see that as platforms like Paramount Plus have, you know, mandates that they have to fill and, you know, have content that they need to put up on their site and HBO Max and, um, you know, obviously Netflix and Amazon and to be, you know, which is just got acquired by all of these uh, streaming platforms are going to give way to more original content, but the sequels are never going to go. Right. Yeah. They make too much money. And with as many diverse platforms as there are now, they need some way to draw on audiences with the pre-made sort of name that they don't have to spend a ton of money on marketing, which they do anyway, but you know what I mean? It's a guarantee. when When you're a parent, Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, do I want to go like take a chance on going to see this like thing that may or may not be good? I've paid for a babysitter. I've mm-hmm. paid for like all these other things to come and be here right now. Maybe I'll just go watch the Marvel movie that I know I'm gonna love. Right. You know. Yeah, absolutely. 
so thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Gabby. Uh, it's been amazing. Thank you. That's so nice of you. I, I hope it was helpful. Yeah, no, a lot of the comments um, are very, very uh, complimentary. I can't read each and every single one. It'll probably take another 20 minutes to do that. So, um, <laughs> But uh, be sure to follow Gabby on Twitter. It's at Gabby Rev Lugo. Um, that's G-A-B-B-Y-R-E-V-L-U-G-O. Um, and thank you all for joining us today. We'll see you next Saturday for our episode, or this Saturday, I guess. Now it's not Saturday, so it's Monday. I'm so used to doing this on Saturday. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm also teaching on script anatomy. Oh yeah. And how to produce your first indie feature. If anybody's interested in that, I'm teaching this Saturday. So you just go to script anatomy through foreign sales and raising money and attaching cast and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah, we love Tanya and everyone at Script Anatomy. So uh, definitely check out scriptanatomy.com if you'd like uh, to know to more from Gabby about making independent films, which apparently a lot of you do. Um, but if you're not going to do that, then, uh, which I encourage you to do if that's definitely the route, but if you want to work in television instead, uh, we do have a... a an episode next or this coming Saturday, breaking into the writer's room with TV assistance. Um, and that's at 10 a.m. our time. Uh, what time is your panel? At, at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Okay. So if you're going to do features, go watch, you know, Gabby's thing on Script Anatomy. And if you want to try to break into the writer's room as an assistant, you can come check us out here on YouTube next By Saturday. By the way, no better way to break into the industry than into the writer's room than being an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can do that gig and if you can come up that way, my God, uh, I'm, I want to go to your panel. Please record it. It will be. But thank you. Uh, so thank you again, Gabby. It was amazing.